And joining me today is the host of the Glenn Beck program and the author of The Great Reset, Joe Biden and the Rise of 21st Century Fascism. Glenn Beck, welcome back to the Rubin Report. Thank you very much, Dave. How are you? I'm just fine, my friend. You have recouped from COVID. People were, you know, celebrating no, were, your demise. They I were know. very Everybody excited. Was. I know. I was on the Levin show and he said, how you feeling? And I said, other than having COVID in my, you know, uh, and uh, uh, and the country being destroyed, I'm good. <laughs> and he was like, wait, you have COVID? And I'm like, yeah, no big deal. Uh, it's going into my lungs now, which it always does. And I wasn't free. I kept saying, I'm not freaked out. I'm not freaked out. It's no big deal. It's no big deal. Oh, my gosh. The world was like set on fire. Glenn Beck has COVID. He should die. It was bizarre. Glenn, why is it, maybe you can explain this to me, you know a bit about my political evolution. Why is it that every time one of my friends get COVID, you, Dennis Prager, people want them to die? Why is that? You guys are good people as far as I'm concerned. Am I missing something, Glenn? (laughs) I think because the, um, and it's happening to the right too, we are being dehumanized. So we're not real people and and because of our point of view, they're already talking about, you know, uh, no medical care. We shouldn't be in society. I mean, it's 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 exactly what happened in the 1930s in other places. Um, it just happens to be that it's the political point of view now that's not acceptable. And what's scary is 57 percent um, of Democrats say it's 48 percent, I think that say you shouldn't have your children if you won't get them vaccinated. And 57 say, maybe we should put you in a camp. That's terrifying, terrifying. So that, that kinda is what the book is about to some extent, because yeah. it's, it's about that there has been a move on all of us and our freedoms for quite some time. I wanna show the cover again here, and we'll, we'll put up a proper image as well, because it's a scary cover. These faces, these are, <laughs> these are three scary, which one of these people, I, it's, for, it's Soros for me, for sure, out of Klaus Schwab, Soros, and, and Biden. When you see, immediately, seems like the scariest one, like you wouldn't want to see him in a dark alley. Yeah, no, I think he, I mean, he looks more and more every day like the emperor from yeah, Star Wars. Yeah, he looks Wars. like Palpatine. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think the scariest to me is Soros. He has, believe it or not, um, kind of the least to do with the actual uh, verbiage in the book, but he is the guy who started the WEF with Klaus Schwab. Um, Klaus is the guy who is really pushing it, but without Soros, there wouldn't be a place to push it, and without Soros, it wouldn't be being pushed. He is a huge force. The other one is Joe Biden, who uh, has bought into this 100%, and is on the road uh, to to transform not just America, but the entire Western world in ways that will affect your life that you can't even imagine yet. When you get to the end of the book, you'll realize everything is about to change. How I eat, how I dress, uh, what I say, how I pick my job. Do I get to pick my job? My kids in school they're going to be fast-tracked. Will they get to pick their own career? Everything is changing. 
So when you say this, you obviously are talking about the Great Reset, which yes. was a phrase that if we were to utter, say a year ago, people would say you were conspiracy theorists, but as everyone knows, mm -hmm. yesterday's conspiracy theorist is now today's truth teller. You've been warning about sort of all of this stuff forever. I think the first time that we sat down, which is probably about five years ago now, I said, I used to watch you on Fox. You'd have the board behind you and, I'd go, and you'd be scribbling all this stuff and running across the room and the whole thing. <laughs> and I'd be going, this guy is half genius, half crazy, half entertainer. And I know that that's three halves, but there was just a lot there. But right. you have, you really have been sort of tracking all of this from the financial system to the political system and everything else. So I guess where did you, like in retrospect, I suppose, looking back now, do you see a moment when you first started putting the pieces together for some of this stuff? Uh, yeah, so I started first starting putting the pieces together and I didn't know what I was dealing with up until about a year and a half ago. I mean, I thought we were dealing with socialists and we're not. The, the socialists are being used. Anybody who's a Marxist, boy, are you going to be pissed when, <laughs> when they finally show up. Yeah. Um, it, it is, that is cover to hide what's really going on. And I didn't figure that one out. But I do remember um, sitting in my studio in Radio City, and I was getting ready to do a show, and there was a, a little article. I mean, it was literally, I mean, just a few paragraphs uh, in the Wall Street Journal buried, and it was about a... Uh, one of the congressmen uh, introducing and then them passing this bill that you could not take your money out of the United States with you. And I thought, hmm, somebody knows something is coming. Somebody knows. I mean, we've never had a problem with exodus of money. What is that? Uh, and that's when I first started going, wait a minute, what's going on? And then I realized that when they say they want to make the world fair and equitable, it was about 2007 or 8 that I realized, well, you can't do that. You can't bring the rest of the world up to the United States because we've tried. And it's getting better, but it's not, up, it's not up to parity. So the easy thing to do is bring the United States down to everybody else's level. And that's what we're doing. So let's talk about the Joe Biden part of this, because I want to talk about sort of the, the machine behind it, but let's just get to like the parts that I think are a little more easy for people to understand first. Sure. So on the Joe Biden part, do you think Biden is fully aware of what he is part of? Like the, the yeah. sort of year, you think he is, that in this I last do. year, the level of destruction that has been wrought across this country, supply chain, inflation, the whole shebang, Afghanistan, everything, COVID, yeah, I'm not you sure think he's he aware? I, I'm not sure he understands the impact, but he does. He is fully aware and 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 committed to the direction. I don't know how much he sees of the wreckage, uh, but he is committed to the direction. And and I say that because his first speech in front of Congress. Remember, he got in. It was about a month later, and it was kind of a State of the Union thing. And if you knew what you were looking for, it was terrifying. Terrifying. He started when he came in and remember, they were all sitting like six feet apart. And so not everybody was there. And he said, you are the ones. And I remember thinking he's at first, he's looking at the camera and talking to us. And he's like, you are the ones. And then he started pointing and looking at all the people in Congress that have saved the world. And you are the ones here that made things happen. He wasn't talking to the American people. He was talking to the elites in that room. The next thing he said, and he said it twice, plus 
he briefed the uh, news anchors prior to the speech on what he was going to talk about and the real problem in America. And he said it twice in the speech. He said, you know, we have to decide whether our system of government can um, compete with these new authoritarian governments like China. And the jury's still out. Well, he said before the speech that um, he's still betting on America, but eh, I don't know if it's going to survive. It has to dramatically change. So they are what they've put together literally is the definition of fascism. Forget about the jackboots. Forget about what you think that means. Look at the real definition. That is a public-private partnership with private businesses. And if you're in the party or you're doing what the party wants you to do, you're fine. The minute you're not, you're out. Whether that is, you know, a, a, a slave camp or you're just out kicking rocks. That's what's happening in China. And China is the model here. Do you think that basically the last 20 years of U.S. diplomacy with China, we thought that we could get them a little, to be a little more like us. And in fact, it actually just worked out the other way that we just didn't have the wherewithal to stand for American values and, and fight for the good stuff that we've been doing here for 200 plus years? I think that changed maybe around Clinton. And I include the Republicans in this thinking as well. Um, I think in the 90s at some point, they, the business people and the government saw, okay, this is communism light. Uh, this isn't the jackbooted thugs, even though it was. Uh, and they can move quickly and they can do things quickly and they can just direct um, you know, policies and, hey, we're going to be number one in cars, so let's focus on cars. Uh, and, and they loved that. And I remember in the 90s hearing from very big business people, you know, China is just a different place and it's very exciting. And it is, quote, it is the new model. And I remember back in the 90s going, well, I don't want China to be our model. That's not what we are. And the big business and government just started working hand in hand over the last 20 years and moving towards that and saying it's much better because we can get things done. So the argument basically that you're laying out of the book is that through the World Economic Forum, Klaus Schwab, then some of these NGOs and all the stuff that Soros is funding, and then with the president of the United States that are all sort of together working to to bring this here. I mean, so, so, so is, it, is it here? I mean, is it fully here? Oh, like, it is we, here. We're just in it, it now. We're in, we are living the very beginnings of it. It is here. It's not too late to change it. But Dave, what's so frustrating about the sales of the book, it, the, sa the book sold out on day one. Uh, the next printing I can get uh, is, I think they come out at the end of February. Those I believe are all sold out. We're on our third printing, which will come out in March. People have to read this now. Time is of the essence. It is so frustrating. Um, it, we are in it, and it, is, it sounds conspiratorial, but the first thing you have to know to, to understand is build back better. When I first heard that, I didn't realize what it was, and it was Joe Biden's slogan to be elected, and I thought... Who came up with Build Back Better? That is the worst slogan I've ever heard. 
And it it's because it was not that's not its original language. Now they're using Build Back Better in uh, for the prime minister of the UK, prime minister yep. of Japan. They're using it in France. They're using it in Canada. It is the slogan of the Great Reset. When we went into COVID, if you remember right, and I was looking for it, so maybe you won't remember, they all said a new normal. We're going to go back to a new normal. Well, I knew what they were talking about because before they said new normal, several said the Great Reset. And that's what they have been uh, sharing and moving us towards is this great reset. So, A, it's not a conspiracy. And it's almost when you read the book, it is almost the Rosetta Stone for the news. You will understand why was Home Depot allowed to stay open, but my local hardware store couldn't. Why is it uh, I can go to a restaurant uh, especially a chain restaurant, I can sit down, and as soon as I sit down, I can take off my mask. But when I go to an air, uh, air on an airplane, I'm seated, but I have to use the mask in between. And that air filtering system is far superior than any restaurant I've ever been in. Glenn, Why? science. I thought it was because of science. Yes. Yeah. No, it's not about science. It's uh, all my, about my notes control. are definitely confused here. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, so okay. So it is about control. We're in the beginnings of it. Do you see any markers that show us the way out of this? So, for example, as we're taping this right now, there is a massive, probably the biggest worldwide worldwide convoy of trucks happening in Canada right now yeah. in protest of these mandates, of these lockdowns, which is directly connected, obviously, to everything else you're talking about here. Mm-hmm. That's pretty good, right? That's pretty good. That's great. And it is those things that will stop it. But what has to be stopped, the most important thing that cannot get its roots any deeper, if you're an investor of 401k, and let's say you have your 401k through, you know, uh, uh, I don't know, JP Morgan or whatever, I want you to go to your website and see Look for ESG scores. And I think it's Charles Schwab that has the ESG score for your account. And when I've talked about this, um, I think it was Bank of America or City, one of the banks called and said, no, 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 that's not what ESGs are about. We're never going to use them for people. And I said, then why is your subsidiary using it on my account? Why do I have an ESG score? And they said, well, that's because we're doing that because a lot of people really care about social justice and environment and governance of the boards. And so we're just helping them know who they're investing in. And I said, you're so full of crap, you can't see through the brown in your eyes, for the love of Pete. Um, Now they are clear on this. ESG has to be stopped right now because that is the control of your business, of your money, of absolutely everything in your life. It is your social credit score, and it is starting at the bank level for businesses. All of the big businesses, they're all in on ESG. Uh, Warning, that is the fascistic system that will trickle down to you. 
and Glenn, call me crazy, but do you think they might be able to link something like an ESG score to perhaps a vaccine passport? Would Is that something yes, a crazy that, person might that's say? That's why the passport on the vaccine passport is so important. You know, I was talking to one of those truckers that was in Canada and he had to deliver something to the United States. He has to have the app on his phone that he shows uh, and, you know, you just scan the QR he got to the border for the Canadian crossing. He went to the to United States and then turned around after he dropped his load and he was coming uh, back into Canada. He had his phone on the QR code and he was ready to put it out the window and, uh, and to show it to the guy. He rolls the window down. He starts moving towards it, and the guy goes, no, I got that. Uh, you're OK. Go ahead. And he said, wait a minute. Aren't you supposed to scan this? And he said, no. Um, and I don't remember the distance, but it was like, you know, when you're within a quarter of a mile, all of that is transmitted to us. We know exactly who you are. Oh, holy cow. And by the way, if you think this is nuts, it has gotten so bad in China that you cannot leave your house without your phone. If you do, the facial recognition finds you. They send the police out to you to say, go back to your house and get your phone. It is such a part of life now. You, you've heard the Amber Alert, the ah, ah, ah. That's what happens when you start to approach someone who has a low credit score. If you have a low social credit score, everybody's phone around that person warns them, don't get any closer or it'll affect your score. This stuff with Joe Rogan is not about COVID. Mm -hmm. It's not. It's about silencing any kind of dissent. And if they win with Rogan, we're gone. We're gone. So we covered that on my show this morning. I, I said it is the biggest cultural and political story of the day. It is. And I mean it by the day, be. I don't mean literally today. I mean right now it is the yeah. biggest thing because it's a marker for everything. Do you think Rogan's going to be able to stand up to this thing? Because, you know, he gave a pretty good uh, pushback, but they are, Spotify now is putting disclaimers in front of his videos, which he said he welcomed. Uh, so do you, do you think he uh, can so fight this thing? So here's the thing. I, I don't know. I mean, I think you know Rogan. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know Joe. Um, but he seems like a guy who really knows who he is. Yeah. Um, and uh, the problem he has, and you know this, Dave, we've talked about this. If you don't have your own platform, and even with your own platform, Amazon can cut you off. Um, the banks can cut you off. If you don't have your own platform, where are you going to go? He just traded YouTube, which would yes. have kicked him off by now, traded YouTube and all those views and easy access without a paywall he traded that to go over to spotify he was smart enough to make sure that they're paying him money doesn't talk it screams a <laughs> hundred million dollars screams to him but it also screams to spotify you don't flush that down the toilet it can he make some adjustments to his show yeah he shouldn't we should all be outraged that the federal government, the only reason why Spotify did anything, they don't care about Joni Mitchell for the love of nobody. Can, Joni Mitchell's family doesn't care about Joni Mitchell. <laughs> so it, it's not that. It's that the Surgeon General came out and on advice from the White House and said, this is dangerous to people. And, you know, social media and Spotify, they need to step up. 
their game. Well, that is the very clear definition of a violation of the First Amendment. There's the government using their power to coerce somebody to do something. I, I don't know, Dave, if he survives. I hope he does. Um, but this is COVID is only the pregame. Financial is the real game. And when our economy starts to collapse, the Great Reset people back in December did a, uh, a nine or ten day war game on a financial collapse. And the first thing that they did was they had to silence the people who were saying anything other than the official truth. And what they were saying was these people are going to get the entire financial system globally to collapse. You've got to shut them up. And those people were saying, I don't think I believe the bank on this, this or this. Or maybe you should get your money out of the bank because bank holidays are coming. All of those things are true as they war gamed. But they will silence us quickly. The move that the uh, Surgeon General made, that comment that he made that, you know, that the, the big tech companies, they should look into this sort of thing is very yeah. consistent with what this administration did. I'm sure you saw the video. I'm sure you covered it when Jen Psaki a couple of months back. Yeah, mm-hmm. we flag things for Facebook. We fla- I mean, Are have they just me? have they just figured out a, a way around the First Amendment at this point? I mean, does no, the First Amendment that exist? Is, th- what they just did is against the the First Amendment. Well, it's they not a law. Recommend. In other words, have they just figured out the wink and it works that you yes. don't need to pass yes. a law? Yeah. So that is the thing about the great reset. Everyone is a stakeholder. And it is a complete end run around the Constitution, around all governments. It is an amazing thing. By the way, he's still pushing his Build Back Better uh, uh, package. Guess who else is doing that right now? Uh, England has a Build Back Better package, almost the same. I think France does as well. Germany has one as well. And they're all exactly the same. Uh, It's just how open and honest are you going to be on what it's going to cost? We're saying that it's free. I think Germany is saying, yeah, we're going to tax the snot out of you. So does the U.S., because of the way we're set up, different states, and as you know, I was pretty damn close to moving to Texas. We we talked about it at your house. I mean, I was pretty damn close. Candace tried to sell me on Nashville, but all right, I settled here in Florida, and I got to tell you, man, it's freaking fantastic. Do you think that our our federalist system is at least set up to fight this thing better, where in places like Britain and France that you mentioned, they don't have that local control? Yes, so we are we are in the best position. Remember, this is not an American thing. This is all of the Western world, um, and we are in the best position. Unfortunately, we're taking the lead on a lot of it, um, and that's why every step you take towards silencing voices or giving the government more power, the worse this becomes, because there will be a another emergency that they will use to finally grab that uh, rope and pull it taut around our necks. Um, it, but our federalist system works. It's really heartening to see two states. One state, I think it was, was it Nebraska, that passed their uh, Article 5 constitutional mm-hmm. convention. Was, yeah. yeah. And then there was another state that was doing it this weekend as well. We got to uh, keep pushing on that. It has to happen. Our states have to separate themselves from the federal government on certain issues. 
you cannot come in and tell us what to do. The local and state is the only thing that will stop this. There are three states. Uh, I talked to them, I don't know, a week after the book came out. And uh, I think it was the, the, the Treasury Secretary of West Virginia. It is also Texas and uh, New Hampshire that are putting laws in right now because of the Great Reset to ban all banks from using ESG scores. Because that they're saying that that's the way they're going to make all their financial decisions. Well, no, that has nothing to do with credit scores. That has everything to do with politics. And they're banning them. If we could get half the states to ban ESGs with financial institutions, you'd be a long way down that Federalist road that would stop this. So what can we do individually besides the people that should probably pick up and go if you live in California and you live in New York, the places that are going to be the epicenters for this nonsense? I mean, what can people do? Like, would you recommend people actually take their money out of Chase and put it in the local federal credit union in their city? I mean, is that that's probably a small step? 100%. That's a big step. Because if all of our audiences did that, it would shake the financial markets. They would be like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. How much money have you lost? Because that's the money that they are using. And by the way, after September, I'm sorry, after um, uh, 08 and the banking collapse, the laws were changed. The money you have in your checking and savings, you are the depositor of last resort. So you can't go get your money if they say, you know, there's a banking crisis. We need all the money we can get. You have zero access to the money. You're the last uh, uh, debtor that they need to pay. You're not the first. So I'm not giving my money to these big financial institutions. You go to your local credit union, make sure that everything is, I can't remember the acronym for the FDIC for- uh, Right, there's a separate one, yeah. The separate one. But you make sure that it's insured and you put everything there. It's so critical- that we are not taking money, our money, loaning money, giving money to these banks that are then spreading it all over America and the news that broke last week all over the world. Instead, we must keep it local. We have to strengthen our local communities, our local businesses. So best way to do it, and I would do it today, take your money and tell them why. I'm not going to be in a, a bank that is involved and has ESG scores. I'm going to a local credit union. Do it today. So speaking of things that you can do today, we're all watching, you know, the supply chain stuff. And it took me, I moved to Florida a month ago. It took the truck literally five weeks to get here because Jeez. the truck with all my stuff just came this week because wow. they can only get trucks to drive one way because in mm-hmm. a normal time, trucks are going both ways with stuff they can, and they also can't get drivers anymore and the price of gas went up and the supply chain, you can't get stuff to build out mm-hmm. and say a house or a studio and everything else. Do we just need to build a parallel economy at every yes. level? And I mean from banks to, to, yes. to a new Home Depot, to just the whole damn thing. We're going to have to buy our own yes. candy shops. And you you start by um, putting your money into a local bank and just realize it's the George Bailey savings and loan. You know, it has to stay local. They are Mr. Potter. That is the best movie to explain the Great Reset. 
You know, he looks at people just as, you know, they're bums and they're never going to get anywhere. So he'll take their money and he'll build Potterville. And that is what they're building in the Western world is Potterville. Can I ask you one question, Dave? Sure. What are you doing with Bitcoin? I put my money in Bitcoin and I'm like, let it ride. But now with the Treasury, the the Fed, the IMF, they are going to kill these things. What are you doing? Are you leaving it in or are you taking it out? Yeah, so I have a chunk of Bitcoin, not, not, a, not a ton, but I have several Bitcoin and I'm just leaving it. I've never touched any of it and I just wanted to sit there and see what happens. I actually was going to ask you in a few minutes about, you know, Biden now wants to regulate Bitcoin, which is the whole purpose of a decentralized coin, a whole decentralized yeah. system is to not be regulated. And you can see, obviously, anyone watching this can understand why that would be separate. That's the off ramp for this insanity. I think people have to have it. You have to be able to diversify because if they come for you, if what you're laying out here is right, and by and large, I think it is, it's like you're gonna need some other ways to, to have commerce with people. You're gonna be able, when the shit hits the fan, I mean, you're gonna need to be able to trade goods and services with people and that, that's where crypto comes in. So that's where I go to, uh, you know, I, I live here in the city in Dallas. But if crap starts to hit the fan, I've got another house in a very small farming community. And that's where I'm planning on on being with my family and friends is in this really small, tight knit community. And we're right now working on, you know, the farmer's market. We are talking to each other. Hey, what do you have in your tool shed that can make things? You know, what do you have? And so we're not buying the same things um, that we can share if things really get bad, that we can fix everything that we need. That's the kind of stuff that um, I think we really need to look at. Um, be, are you in a community of like-minded people that will help each other? Because, Dave, there's something else that I touch on in the book. This, what's so insidious about this is I have been talking since probably 1995 there is a new industrial revolution that is coming that will be as profound as the industrial revolution. But it, when it starts, it will happen in a 10-year period, not 100 years. Well, we're there. We're already, I think, I think we're year two in that industrial, the fourth industrial revolution. And by 2030, 40% of jobs are going to be gone Maybe there'll be some new things, but probably not. Um, that's why we're talking about, you know, basic universal income and everything else, because tech knows what is coming. And now so do our politicians. Um, the one thing that we are that everybody is pushing us the opposite direction that we have to recognize, stop and go the other way is empathy. The only thing that A.I. cannot duplicate is empathy. If you're looking to tell your kids what kind of job are you going to get, you, you'd be really wise to say, forget about school or whatever. If you, if you want to be a nurse, go to school, not a doctor, a nurse. Go to school and make sure you focus everything on empathy because the AI is going to tell you everything that's going on in that person. You have to be the one that is the face that comes in and says, it's all right. Everything is all right. It's going to be okay. Because AI cannot do that. 
Um, that's where its hole is. Also, if, a, if the world is run by AI or people that, you know, just think of other people as sheep, um, gosh, they are missing all empathy. And that's a pretty dark world. You know, it's interesting. I actually heard you talking about this, this empathy with AI and the robots and that even when they show the, when you see the robots that we have now, they cannot show true human emotion. They do these things that actually look completely counter to human emotion when they try to show human emotion. It looks, it looks more robotic than you would think robotic would even look. Um, so in, but, wait, hang on. In animation, yeah. that's called the, what is it? The eerie valley or the creepy yeah, uh, valley? Or the, the uncanny valley. I think. The uncanny valley. Yeah. yeah. Um, and animation has found a way where they're coming out of the uncanny valley. They don't think AI will ever get out of the uncanny valley uh, because it is something really, truly spiritual, human in the eyes. And when you see it, you know it. And there's a lot of people that you can talk to that just don't have that. You know, they might feel sorry for you, but they're not those people that have real empathy. And you know the difference. And AI will never be able to compete with that. Is that the weird moment that we're in that everything you're describing here sounds like a dystopian movie, most likely, or a book that was originally written by Philip K. Dick. But I mean, everything you're, you mm-hmm. sound, it's, this sort of sounds like Minority Report. It sort of sounds like Terminator. It sort of sounds like iRobot. Like we're rushing, to, Matrix for sure, that we're rushing towards it. We all have had all the warnings. The warning signs are all behind us. They were in books, they were in movies, they're in they're history, there. they're in the Bible, they're all there. And we're just rushing and we're all going, <laughs> oh, you know, let's keep and, going because right, who's going to stop us? Right. And we all kind of know, too. Yeah. We all, yeah, we all feel know. something. I don't care what political stripe you are. You're all we all know something is really not right. Something. This is not going to end. Well, we know it. Uh, and, you know, what's what's crazy is. Uh, in many ways, the liberals were right. We were wrong. We thought it would come as, you know, some communist Marxist thing. Those guys are being used. This is coming through our corporations. Every time I watch a dystopian movie, I roll my eyes when they're like, I work for the corporation, AKA the government. And I'm like, Oh, stop it. (laughs) That is what they're right. And how the left is. I'm against big pharmaceutical companies. Really? Except for right now when it counts? (laughs) I mean, it's crazy. They knew all this stuff. We mocked them. And now we're standing where they were going, guys, uh, you were right. I mean, can't you see this? But you got to kind of admire it, right? Like not what it's doing, but the trick that it pulled right there. You got to admire it. That that these people you've got, as you're saying, they're the pawns, these communists and socialists and all these people. They're the pawns and the foot soldiers. And they think that they're against the power while they literally are for all the corporations. They're for all of the messaging. I walk into Target yesterday to buy some cleaning supplies and there is a massive Black Lives Matter section there. And it's like, you're fighting the power? Really? With that shirt and sweatshirt and pants and shoes. I think in a hundred years, Dave, this is going to be studied in every (laughs) government uh, program uh, that is, you know, trying to teach about history and government and behavioral science. This is this is the time that the world will look back. I think we're going to be studied for a thousand years, especially if we defeat it. 
No nation has ever defeated anything like this. I think we could be the exception to that rule, but only if we all wake up, don't go down the road of conspiracies, just get the actual facts because they're worse than any, anybody that could come up with conspiracies online. These are true. Um, and if you just do that, remain calm, work on empathy, don't play into their hands, we beat them. And here's why I know this. Have you ever seen the government ever work this hard to silence people and keep them in line? I've never seen it. If they thought we were sheep, if they thought we couldn't stop it, they wouldn't care. They wouldn't do any of this. But they are working over overtime. And they're talking now probably about at least 50% of the country. Remember, to change things... It only it's the tipping point is like 19 or 20 percent. They're talking about half of the nation. That's pretty significant. And they know it. Have you in all the time you've been talking about this and taken, you know, dozens of callers every day on your radio show and everything else? Have you learned anything about the type of person, the makeup of the person or the belief system of the person that is willing to go into the fire and be the guy in their social circle that's gonna talk about this stuff and change people and everything else. Because I get some version of this question a lot. People want, they kinda get it, but you know, they've got their job. They kinda get it, but they've got their family. They, they don't wanna really get in. But now I think you're right. We are getting to this odd critical mass. I mean, when you know when you've pushed Canadians to do what they're doing up there, you Canadians know something's wrong. Don't, they never, they're never pissed yeah. off about anything, anything so, ever. So what do, you, what do you think is it? What, what do you think it is that, that we can do to help ignite that thing in people? Not just know about the stuff, but that other thing, the other thing. So I think the, the easiest line to cross, I mean, Nancy Pelosi is always saying it's for the children. It's for the children. <laughs> uh, so it's not about the children with them. It is about the children with individual families and moms and dads. That's why you saw the pushback coming at school. That's why you saw, I mean, I have friends who are very liberal thought, who could never have voted for anybody but Joe Biden, that are really smoked right now. And the tipping point was, you wait, you want to vaccinate my little, my little ones? Are you kidding me? Never. It is our children that speak to us, that make us much more brave. Um, but I think it's just connecting. We have to connect enough people. The week I released the book, all I kept hearing in my head was, the eyes of the world are upon you. That's what FD, uh, sorry, that's what Dwight Eisenhower said on the day of D-Day to the troops. The eyes of the world are upon you. And what you do today will decide the freedom of men and women all over the world. We need to get to a place to where people understand this is our World War II. This is our opportunity. Is it going to be lost in this generation? And if they really truly understand that, then they'll... Be courageous because people with children don't want my kids. I have them in 30s and I have them in teenagers. And the older ones have come to me and went, so, dad. 
what is life going to be like now for my kids? And my answer is, it's yet to be decided. If we do all that we're supposed to do, it will be fine. We're going to go through really difficult times, but we make it out on the other end. If we don't, if we don't stand up, Dave, this is all of the technology that Hitler wanted. I mean, it, it's, you know, the um, what's his name? Yuval uh, Noah Harari. Uh, Harari. Yeah. You know him? Yeah. So in his book, he talks about that the age of free will is over. And he says that's right now, that you don't really make the decisions that you think you make because you're so influenced by what you see. And it starts with, oh, you're finished with that book? You'd like this one. And so we're losing our decision-making free will ability. We have to exercise that. We have to exercise courage in the smallest ways. Because if you're not, if you're not building courage now, it is only going to get harder. And you won't be able to deadlift that weight. You know, I don't know that I've ever connected this directly before, but you know, I do my off the grid August thing, which you've welcomed yeah. me back on before, but I do always feel more brave after. Every, you the do. five year, the five years that I've done it, I feel, it, I always expected to feel clear minded, but I always feel that I have this renewed sense of passion to get right back in and keep fighting for the things that I believe because in. And, you, because because the algorithms haven't been telling you every day, all day, you're too small. You're too small. You're too small. You think there's something there? There might there might be something there. <laughs> I think so. So I in our so. last couple in our last couple minutes, um, not to connect this back to politics purely, because I think we're talking about something that's bigger than politics. But you and I did not vote for Trump the first time around. We both did the second time around. If he had been president now, if if he had won that last election, was that the was that the wall that we needed, no pun intended, with Trump? I mean, was that the I thing? Don't. And then he was the thing that was going to at least temporarily stop it or the dam or something like that? So I truly believe I have no evidence to back this up other than all of the corporations banded together to stop him, which was unusual. I am convinced that this is the real reason why they stopped him. It wasn't about anything else except he's America first. So... We can't get him on this bandwagon. The minute he canceled the Paris Accords, which was not about global warming, it is about ESG and the financial system. That's all it's about is the banking system. When he canceled that, they realized we're done if he doesn't, if he stays in. And they, they had to destroy him. I don't know because he, I think he kicks down walls. He's got a good gut on him. And he kicks down walls, not necessarily knowing what's behind it, but that's not good over there. My gut tells me these people over here are doing no good. Um, if, uh, if he knows and he's willing to stand up against it, which I think he would be, uh, he would be very, very, uh, very good. I'm not sure he fully understands what he exposed yet. Even after your recent sit down with him, do you think he didn't get it? Not that you well, fully went into all of this, but. I said to him, uh, and I've asked him because I just talked to him again on Friday, and I asked him the same question. Mr. President, you have to clear out every agency. You've got to fire all of them. And 
he said, I know. One thing he said was, I, um, uh, I can't do it with the GOP that I have because it will take an act of Congress and Senator and Senate. He can't do it with Mitch McConnell. They just won't do it. Um, he needs he needs help in Congress and in the Senate to be able to clean out the viper's nest. I had a I had a congressman who's very low key makes makes Mike Lee look a little hyper at times uh, who said to me on Friday, Glenn, um, the FBI is the KGB. And I'm like, I'm sorry, excuse me. And he said, it is the KGB, and we all in Washington know it, and no one's doing anything about it, uh, and they have to be cleaned out. Trump, I asked this Friday, are you working with a council of people? Are you doing anything to draw up a naughty and nice list and figure out what you're going to do? Because you only have four years if you run and win. Four years. That's not enough. And this is going to be this will be a death match uh, to do this. I think he's the only guy who would, but I don't know if he will or understands it yet. Glenn, I have only one more question for you, which is fairly obvious after this conversation. Can I come to this special unknown place and have a small parcel <laughs> of land? I, listen, you know I had chickens. I know how to. I know how to deal yes. with the coop. I know how to clean. I've gotten pretty good at a couple other handy things in a new house here. I, and, I, you know, and I'm pretty decent for conversation. As night. long as you just make sure you always say, I'm from Florida, <laughs> you can go. <laughs> I'm going to literally have to erase the first 35 oh, years yeah. of my life. That's I never fine. lived in California. What are you no, talking Calif about? What is, a, please. It's another Dave Rubin. Looks just like me. <laughs> Glenn, it's always an honor talking to you, and I'm glad to be in the fight with you. And uh, you hope, to, hope to see you in the free state of Texas or in the free state of Florida. I think I'm days. coming to Florida in a couple of weeks, so I'll have to see you then. We'll fire up the grill. You see you it. soon. God bless. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Be sure to subscribe and rate this podcast. And don't forget, you can watch my direct messages live on Blaze TV and YouTube every weekday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern. And of course, if you want to connect with me personally and get early access to my sit-down interviews, join rubinreport.locals.com.